Nation. Providing you with the practical tools and expert knowledge to optimize your strength, health and mindset, inside and out. With your hosts, Steve Katarzy and Bryn Jenkins. Hey guys, Steve here. Look, we've got a great podcast lined up for you on this episode. Um, Bryn and I have a chat about motorbikes, crashes, love affairs as kids with those, and our changing perspective of the risk that motorbikes carry. That's a nice bit of chat. We have that for about 20 or so minutes. We then get into what really is an interview style podcast where I interview Bryn uh, about his career and his opinions of the fitness industry. This is really honest, um, reflective, and interesting discussion where we get to talk about really what got Bryn into this industry uh, the leaders that inspired him, um, the clients that helped him grow, both the good ones and the bad ones. We then start talking about the observations that he's had in helping change people, that that visceral and internal emotion for him that's helped him grow, seeing people change. We then pivot to the evolution of this uh, fitness and wellness industry, talking about the good things that we admire and excited about, the change we're seeing afoot, whether it be more information, greater honesty, lower cost, through to some of the bad things, some of the gripes we have, whether it be the low barrier to entry for professional trainers, whether it be um, hard to qualify good people from bad people, you know, the commercial gym model, the marketing, the big egos, the narcissism, etc. And we reflect on the fact that for this industry to change, we have got to demand it to change. There's a human instinct for us to be sold the quick fix. And hey, marketers and salespeople are just leaning in on that human need. This is a really good episode. We hope you enjoy it. Adaptation. It was a Gilera DNA, which was an Italian make. Gilera. Gilera, yeah. And it actually didn't look like a moped. It actually looked like a motorbike. Okay. Because it looked like a motorbike, but it only went at... I think it probably maxed it about 35 miles per hour and it sounded like a moped. It probably looked pretty <laughs> stupid. Um, and my mate had a matching one as well, so he used to ride around town on that. Um, it, it must have been so liberating at that age to have that freedom. Those are the best days, man. Those are, Incredible. I just, yeah, to have so many good memories of just riding around. Um, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't really be going anywhere. We would just go out on the bikes and go for hours and just ride around and hang out and yeah good days so So you had a you had a Jalera so that was okay affordable wise from an insurance perspective yeah it wasn't it was was more expensive than just a standard moped because it was a bit more chunky and a bit heavier okay um and I I crashed that as well so so you crashed your first one what when you were 16 17 16 yeah I think I was yeah uh yeah I must have been 16 17 and um we were messing about on the road and I went to undertake my mate and clipped a parked car and over I went. So, so I've did I tell you that I had a moped as well? Oh, did you? Okay. But much much later <coughs> in my life, I don't know. It would have been so probably eight nine years ago. Right. So I would have been about like twenty five ish, that kind of range, about twenty five twenty seven, and I got myself an an Italian model. It was a lot. It was it was it was a moped again. Yeah, I think it's a hundred and fifty cc. 
125 cc um and the name has escaped me i'll, I'll remember it in a second but it was very wide-bodied it was in it was is very it a, vis- a vispa is it a vispa? it wasn't a vespa. a vespa it was the other one I'll, I'll come back to me in a second but it was it was chunky and, and the reason it was chunky is because it looked more businessy yeah right it was it was quite a big vehicle and it also had a big spot because you know i like my hair the way it is yeah. so i needed to think about clothes for my meetings i needed to think about my my kind of little briefcase which yeah. had my laptop and all the bits <laughs> I can imagine you on a bed, your suit on. so yeah so for me it was it was about um i was living just outside of london and i had to get the central line yeah all the way from like loughton all the way into the kind of bank kind of right in the city of london and I just hated getting on that central line because especially in those summer months, it just gets so excruciatingly yeah. hot, so packed, and I just didn't enjoy it. So I had this brainwave. I'll get myself this bike, and it was, again, it, I spent a lot of money on it. Yeah. Relatively speaking for a moped, they're cheap, right? I must have spent a couple of grand. And, it, you know, it was heavy, and it looked businessy. So I got it, liberating as hell being on this thing. <laughs> but... Here's the problem when you, you ride a bike for the first time and you're older. You've just got more anxiety and you're more worried. Yeah. I think if I if I started younger, I'd have less fear. But I just was a little bit worried. And that led me to three accidents in the space of six months. Three. Two write-offs. How are you still here? And, and uh, I am... Um, because you got to imagine why I, would, I, would, I was doing this as a daily... It was like 30 to 40 miles each way. So it was a long trek and getting into London, which gets yeah. busier and busier and busier. And loads of, loads very, of buses. It is pretty dangerous on a moped in London. Oh, I mean, there's loads of buses and, you know, overtaking is a nightmare and loads of blind turns and and just, just the, the manicness and the fumes yeah. in your face. So when I first started off, I was like, okay, I'm just going to wear my suit. It's summer. Wear my, tr- wear my shoes, <laughs> you know, my expensive Jeffrey West shoes. <laughs> And yeah, I'll put on a um, just one of those helmets that doesn't cover your face. Yeah, just so it's open not, face man. Yeah, so it just look cool. Gloves. I didn't have gloves to begin with, and 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 as as I progressed into more kind of shoddy weather, I realised that I was making so many mistakes. Mm-hmm. So I started off nice kind of tailored suit in my shoes. I ended up with a black jacket with a high vis fucking <laughs> vest over the top. Full face mask, um, big leather uh, gloves, and um, kneecaps. I, I got to the point where I was like, this is ridiculous now. I'm taking 10 minutes to change yeah. to get into my meeting. And by the way, I wasn't just going back and forth to an office. I was going to clients. So I'm going into London. I'm trying to... I was thinking when I first bought the thing, I could just park it wherever I want. It's a fucking moped. I need no space. Mm. It turns out it's not that straightforward in no. London. You need to find designated biking spots yeah. and you still got Which to pay. Yeah. So like I'd have to allow like 20 to 30 minutes ahead of a meeting just to hopefully find somewhere and have paid over the phone or what have you. And it just became more of a burden than it was saving me time. Mm-hmm. But boy, was it liberating. Yeah. You know, that, that wind in, you know, hitting your face. Especially for summer days. <laughs> yeah. But it, I was at, did I wasn't wearing a mask? No, I didn't wear a mask. I didn't go that over the top. It, yeah, but, yeah, they are good fun as well because you can just whiz in and out of cars and stuff. It's, it's Mine was quite heavy. It's easy to get around. So it was quite bulky and probably because I was quite anxious. So I wasn't, yeah. I wouldn't 
take liberties. I wouldn't zoom between you know two lines of tra- uh, of, of cars backed up yeah. if they're quite tight. I'd be quite reserved and I'd yeah. keep in line and wait until there's a good enough space. But yeah, some people are confident, even on the big mo- motorbikes, they're scraping through just about clipping the wing mirrors and yeah. then weaving in and out and, going at, some, and going at some pace. Yeah. And I'm like, I just couldn't go there. But you would do that. Yeah, you? I used to do that. Because okay. I went for my moped, which was a 50cc, which could do max 35 miles per hour, to going to... Uh, when I hit 17, I got... A what was it? Five hundred cc Kawasaki. Wow, that's a big jump. Yeah, wasn't it? Was a sort of a sports tourer, but it was still pretty powerful. But when you're seventeen, it's still you can't have a uh, a bike that's um got its full capacity. It's limited, and it could only do. I mean, it still you know hit hundred miles per hour, or whatever. But it didn't have it. Seventeen, you had that power. Yeah, wow. that you have to limit it to. I think it's thirty three brake horsepower, and um. But still, it had the acceleration, had the power. It was heavy. It it was good fun, and I yeah, I'd whiz down the middle of cars, and yeah, you just I, I think you get used to it over time. Really good at overtaking. You just you don't think. Obviously, you're keeping an eye on what you're doing when you're overtaking, but you don't really think. You know, you know, don't go into it worried. You know yeah, you're confident that this is going to happen exactly. safely. And it was very natural yeah. just overtaking. So how many like, years were you riding your bike for? Um, well, I had that for probably so i had my moped for about a year um and then i had the kawasaki for an, probably another couple of years um so i didn't start driving till i was 18 i think it was 17 turning 18 so i actually started driving a lot later than most people um i think that's because i got fed up with the weather and then i had my car then later on i decided at my mum's um, horror to get a sports bike which was a, uh, a yamaha r6 wow which was incredibly quick and i think i was about 21 then okay um i'm surprised i'm still here because yeah that bike was lethal and i, I mean i did actually write that bike off i but i only crashed at about 30 miles per hour but i was going around a bend and there was a tractor coming around towards me but the tractor was taking up half the lane on my side because right. it had to kind of cut the corner so it couldn't, yeah. couldn't get around and as I was going around the bend obviously his tractor's coming you towards me you just didn't have me. enough turning circle yeah the car in front of me had to slam his brakes on I went straight to the back of that car oh, shit. I went right over the top bike went under the tractor did it. yeah so that was a complete write off the guy in the tractor jumped out thinking it was me so he was panicking thinking he just run me over but you'd got off but, earlier yeah and I was fine. The only thing that hurt was hitting my balls against the tank as I went over. <laughs> and I was just hopping around in the middle of the road, like holding my uh, my man man uh, hood. So I was like, oh, what's happening? So when I, when I, it's a couple of things on that actually. So I I crashed this this little thing that I had a couple of times. Um, it was three times in total. <laughs> Um, the first two times they were they were write offs, mm. but they were write offs, and I was doing probably twenty mile an hour. Yeah, it's it's incredible how flimsy these bloody little these little um, mopeds are. But then you also realise how quick twenty miles per hour actually is. Yeah, and, 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 and in both and in both instances they were in right in the heat of London. So mm. we're talking kind of Shoreditch ways. I think pretty much in both instances it was Stoke Newington Shoreditch, mm-hmm. and um, it was people turning without knowing I was there. Yeah. In both instances, it was left-hand turns, 
and I'm either going down in, in you know, legally going down the bus lane and people are not looking that I'm coming across, I'm coming yeah. over and they're just turning right in front of me. Maybe that's my fault. Maybe I wasn't being as diligent, but to be honest, I was being, I was a very cautious, quite worried, you know, rider. So I was, you know, I was looking out, I was being quite so, aware. Uh, what they call defensive, defensive um, riding, isn't it? So you're like on the defensive all the time. Yeah, I'm, I'm always looking at, because there, there was just so much going on. Yeah. It's not like a, a nice, clean, 60 mile an hour, eight, you know, B yeah. road in, 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 you know, rural landscapes. But we're talking traffic lights every two seconds, people crossing the road, dodgy, you man. know, people butt bibbing and getting in your way. And yeah, it was just, a, it was a bloody nightmare. And in both instances, someone had turned left and you know I'm I'm slapping on the brake and it's just going from thirty to zero. Just I didn't have enough time to respond. Yeah. So in both instances, like minimal impact, maybe their their window got smashed, mm. and my 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 bike looked okay. But in both instances, it was a write off, really? and then they just yeah. give us a new one. Um, and then the third time was was my fault. And this is again this is the cautiousness that I guess comes with a newbie rider. I was just going round and round about and I was starting to get used to leaning. Leaning and just trying to, to, try to bring that knee out, but not down. I mean, I was never that courageous. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, starting to get that lean going on there, starting to feel comfortable that it's not going to yeah. take from underneath me. And it fucking did. And it <laughs> did. It I, I, yeah, it was wet. And I think I'm, it looked like as if there might have been a little bit of grease or oil around the roundabout. Yeah. I just hit that and it just went like just right from underneath me. Mm. But I was going relatively slow because I was going around the roundabout and it just skidded for a little bit, you know, it ruined my, my, my uh, suit. <laughs> and uh, there were just a few scrapes on the bike, but it was enough yeah. for me to go, do you know what? This is too much hard work for me. It, whether it was a bike, it was my cautiousness probably me more yeah. than anything else. Yeah. But I thought, you know what, for the benefit, I'm getting all this downside of trying to park on the other side. I'm getting all the harassment and bullshit as I drive into London. Mm. And I'm getting wet. And I don't like the fucking weather situation. Not as good as you first think, is The it? summer yeah. when it started was amazing. Yeah. But I don't know whether that's... Um, no, I do know. It would, it would have been me. It would have been me and, you know, the fact I was older and I'd never experienced riding before. Because when I think back, actually, when I was younger, I used to cycle a ton. I used to live in London, and it was easy to cycle around. And whenever I'd have a little kerfuffle of some sort, you know, whether it be on the road or whether it be when I was doing mountain biking, mm. if I ever fell off my bike, the very first thing I would do wouldn't be look at me, it'd be look <laughs> at my bike. But did yeah. you ever do that? Yeah, yeah. My first thing was like, shit, is the bike ruined? Yeah, yeah. You know, are the, are the, are the wheels bent? <laughs> are the derailers messed up? Am I going to be able to ride it? Yeah. You know, is the paint scuffed? So my first thought was always check the bike. And then I'd be like, oh, am I hurting? Oh, yeah. yeah. The like, you can't, yeah, because you can't feel what's happened to you. So you're like, shit, what's happened? And you, you check your bike, make sure that's all right. And then suddenly it kicks in. You're like, oh, shit. <laughs> I've hurt myself. And so for you, did you... Do you have a bike now? No, um, that was my last bike. But So what, when you writ it, writ it off, that was it? It was done? Yeah, that was it. I mean, I'd quite like to get Harley now. Um, oh, yeah. just, it's a just, completely just, different riding yeah, experience. Just, it's just different. I've had the sports bike. I've had fun. Um, I mean, I would never say I'm not going to get another one um, because who knows. But I just like the idea of getting Harley on a summer's day and just nice. cruising around. I think that was Grow so a beard. Nice. Yeah. Bandana. Beard, <laughs> the leather jacket on. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
Um, but I, I mean, there's there's Harley Davidsons out there. That, oh, so they're beautiful. They're like they're not proper Harleys. With the you don't big, massive like, handlebars. Yeah, you don't look like you need the beard and the um, the leather jacket and whatnot. You you can get some that are quite sporty now, but they're, they're still modern. yeah, still like cruisers. Nice. Um, did you ever watch Sons of Anarchy? Uh, I know of it. I've never watched that. If you watch no. that, 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 that really makes you want to... You used to watch Harley. Orange County Choppers. Yeah. The custom bike uh, builders. There was a massive handlebars, and I'm just thinking, how is that comfortable? Your hands above the head. Above the head. Yeah, I didn't get that at all, but yeah. the bikes were beautiful, weren't they? Yeah, um, yeah, it's amazing. Some of the shapes and paint jobs, incredible. Yeah, yeah. So, last thing on this then, do you, do you have a different relationship with bikes now as in do you see the danger for what it is now is there a different perspective like for example would lisa be comfortable if you got yourself a souped up kawasaki now um would you be comfortable with that or do you do you now say actually that was that's a high risk that's a high risk mode of transport yeah because well i always remember my dad saying the bike itself isn't dangerous it's to ride it on the bike um he said bike isn't a lion it's not it's not it doesn't bite you nothing if you don't touch the bike nothing happens it's the person that's in control right so that's kind of the way i've always seen it and i think now if i got bike i'd be a little bit more reserved a little bit more wise i think um so yeah i, I think but i would still have that yeah in the back of my mind i'll be thinking the temptation's there if I get this quick sports bike, you're going to ride it like a quick sports bike. And that's when mistakes happen. So I have kind of, I don't know. That's why I'm not sure whether I will ever get a bike again, because I do kind of have that in the back of my mind. Um, and what will be yeah. interesting is once once you, you guys have kids, would, yeah. you, would you think about doing it? Because it's it's very selfish in, 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 in a way to get yourself a bike, which you know comes with it so much risk. You could be the best rider in the world, but you know things happen. Yeah. Things outside of your control, and you've got no protection, right? You're on two wheels, and there's not real much protection around your body. Mm. And um, I've noticed, and I've seen people that like come when they click into being a parent, and that really sets in. Yeah, they... There's this like this dilemma now that yeah. you you discuss as a family, like okay, I know you want it, and I know you want the enjoyment and the thrill and the adrenaline, and it's a good, you know good hobby. But are we willing to take a risk? Yeah. For something which is really just fulfilling a, a an emotional bucket for you, it's not really bringing much. Yeah. It's not. It's not bringing much value to the family because we can't both get on there, and you know you can't you can't buy the shopping on it. Like Wallace and Gromit, you know, <laughs> stacked up on the bike. So this is purely for your own, you know, your own kind of enjoyment, enjoyment, of, yeah, and thrill. And is it worth it? And I'd be interested to see kind of how you change, if mm. at all when you know kids are either on the horizon or you've got them yeah and don't also a lot of parents talk about this sort of inbuilt fear that they get as soon as they become a parent they start getting this or they become more anxious and a little bit more fearful of things that they didn't used to be yeah. did you have you ever noticed that no it definitely does happen man yeah it does i mean you you think about um i remember i would kind of not drive recklessly but i would drive um you know put my foot down and brake hard yeah. and just like you know fuck about sometimes mm. and um whilst it was something that would piss off michelle before we had kids <laughs> as soon as we had kids like if i would ever do that and the kids are in the car she she'd look at me with a scornful look and going how dare you do that mm. you know look at our cargo look at what we've got in this in this car one 
if they're in there or not, are you willing to do that and sacrifice you potentially getting hurt? Yeah. And two, they're in there. I mean, how dare you? Mm. And and we had a couple of those conversations and it kind of set in like, she's right. You know, I can't make this, I can't just go and f- fill my kind of thrill and uh, thrill seeking bucket in the knowledge that it comes high risk mm. with high risks and high stakes. I, I, you're just more cautious to do that because you go, okay, I'm going to get the benefit, that moment of, adrenaline but the downsides could potentially mean a, a fatherless home yeah and it's quite profound when you start to really value your life more because you yeah, understand the impact is more than just you not being here yeah the impact could be a broken home it could be kids without a father it could be a family without an income mm-hmm. because now you're disabled or what do you know what i mean that you, all well, that stuff starts that, running through yeah because I, I remember when i was where I grew up as a kid, I remember there were some kids around the corner from us and their dad died on the motorbike. Um, I think he had Kawasaki as well. I remember he used to head off to work every day on the bike. I remember it so clearly. Um, yeah, and one day, he, I don't know what happened, if he got hit by a car or, or if he hit a tree or what, but he came off his bike and that was that. And he had two, two actually, I think that was three of them, young kids. Um, and, you know, he's just travelling to work. He's not, yeah. he's not being reckless, but... It's, it's, it's a higher stake mode of transport, it is, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Anyway, let's, uh, let's stop uh, getting ourselves all caught up and uh, emotional about travelling. Adaptation. Today's episode is about the fitness industry. Yeah. And really, it's a bit of an interview style <clears throat> discussion. Me focused on getting your perspective mm-hmm. as a personal trainer and a professional in this space for the last five years or so, yeah? Yeah. Okay, so why don't we get started with, I mean... <clears throat> Hopefully the listeners who, listeners have heard previous podcasts and get a sense of your background at a high level. Um, but why don't you talk us through really why you're in the fitness industry? Well, to begin with, one of the first people that kind of got me into the industry was Elliot Hulse. Um, Elliot Hulse is a guy that he's on YouTube and he's an influencer and sort of a businessman, but he's also uh, talks, although he, he talks about strength training, he goes a lot more in depth about how to develop yourself as an individual, um, personality, um, who you want to become, um, you know, building values that will last. And, and, and there's a lot more to the, to you than just the gym. And that kind of started evoking some emotions within me when I was watching these videos and I really started to delve deep into it. And I was probably at this point about, I think I was in my early 20s, it must have been about 21, I think, when I started watching this. And I've been training for years because I started training myself in the gym since I was 16, um, but never really took it seriously. And then obviously I started watching his videos, he started to influence me and I started to learn a lot from him. And when I started to realise, yeah, there is a lot more to training than just the gym. And actually you're training your mind, you're building habits, you're building values. I started to just delve a lot deeper into it and think, actually, this is life changing. Um, and then from there, I obviously went and got my um, course as a personal trainer. I uh, signed up to a sort of a home, uh, uh, a home set, study. Yeah, home study that you do yourself. 
and then you had to go into London to do your exams. So I've done that. Um, and then once I'd done that, I actually moved into a gym in Weybridge down in Guildford, um, which was a small boutique gym. And I, mean, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Because to get... How did they... What was, what was the gig? How did they give you, uh, a guy with no um, personal training experience... And why did they give you the role? Well, it was actually because I knew the guy that was running the gym. Okay. Um, he, he's a good coach, and um, he's Angel Fernandez, and he, he now trains boxers at a high level. Um, but then he was starting off as well, but he managed to get a role in this gym, and he was pretty much running the whole gym. So he knew that I was looking for a job, and he said, well, why don't you... Learn know, the ropes here. Learn the ropes here. We, we won't put you in compromising positions. Exactly. Don't yeah, okay. exactly. And I'll take you under my wing and, and we'll... All right, well, that's cool. So because then, otherwise, going into like a just a cold transactional discussion mm-hmm. of can you hire me, if, if, yeah. I, I wouldn't want to take a risk on someone who's just got a theoretical study and has never worked with someone. I, yeah. You know, if you're speaking with live clients right now... Mm. I don't think I'd be comfortable with that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't have hired me when yeah. I first started because I really didn't know what didn't I was know doing. Anything, man. And yeah. that, that's the thing, like, to get your level three personal training course, it's not a great course. I mean, the course, there's different courses out there, but most of them are, are pretty bog standard, really. So they don't give you the tools and the skills you need to be a good trainer. You have to learn that yourself afterwards. So you've, you've taken this course and you get this uh, role... In, yeah. um, in this gym at that point did you think this was a a punt or did you think this was the start of a long career were you convinced that this space is the space you want to stay in or did you think I just want to try something out and see if I can make it work and if not I'll go and find something else no I actually I didn't have a plan B I knew this is exa- I knew it was a stepping stone um, to becoming self-employed Okay. I, I always wanted to be self-employed. I just hated having a boss. And I thought, well, if I start here, I can build up experience. I mean, I was getting paid peanuts because I was paid in the salary there. And I actually had to take a big pay cut to do it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And um, it meant I had to have a second job. I was When I left school, I did gardening um, for a little bit. So I went back to gardening, did a few gardens on the side. As well as, as, well as doing the gym to, stuff. Exactly, to support my income. And was you doing a nine, was it a nine to five kind of showing up? Uh, it was like shift work. So it would be like six till two, or it would be um, two to about eight, Got it. nine o'clock in the evening. Okay. Um, but I mean, it was a great stepping stone for me to learn because I, I was getting a salary. So it meant that I didn't have to provide my own income. Um, and there was already a client base there, which they actually paid a membership um, to have personal training as part of their package. Oh, right. So it was just a personal training. So you um, didn't even have to sell, really? No, exactly. I didn't right. have to sell. But I kind of took on the role of managing the gym with um, the other coach, Angel. Um, so that gave me some good sort of skill, a good skill set because I had to pick up the phone and ring submissions. I had to do bookings. I had to communicate a lot. And, and that gave okay. me a really good skill set. So it gave you some so, grounding on... What, what it takes outside yeah. of telling someone how to move and what exercises to do. Because, actually, yeah. how, how do you build a relationship? How yeah. do you maintain the business that you've got? All that kind of stuff. Because a lot of it okay. is communication, isn't it? Like, if I'm trying to get someone to do something, how well can I communicate what I want them to do Yeah. so that they can understand? So Okay. So you're at this uh, this gym. Let's not go through each stepping stone because uh, I'm interested in a couple of other things, but 
feel free to kind of mm-hmm. rewind the tape if there's things you want to specifically talk about. Um, if you think back across the gyms and the uh, the people you've trained, talk, talk me through some of the, the, the most defining moments or the biggest characters or those penny dropping moments. So let's start, let's start with people first. Mm-hmm. Who's had the biggest impact to you, whether it be clients or trainers or peers? So, I mean, clients, I've learned a lot from clients, from different characters and who, who succeed and who may not succeed. I mean, you, you, when you meet someone now, I have a good sort of uh, idea of who's going to succeed and who's not just because of their character. Mm. Because over the years, you just you just see the same same um, attributes and characteristics within yeah. people, and you start to learn. Um, I've had a client that uh, I've had a few clients that I've met and gone, they're going to do really well simply because they're like they're they're ready to take self ownership and listen and apply so I tell them what they need to do or I give them advice and I give them the tools that they need in order to do it but they'll they'll take responsibility and go I know I need to do that and they don't hassle you they don't like text you every five minutes what about this what about that with all these minute little details they just sort of get on with it they go home make the changes that you've suggested they come back and they go yeah I struggled with this nope that worked and you just talk to each other figure it out and then obviously you just layer that on. So ideally, you want all your clients like that, but that's yeah. that's unlikely. That's never yeah, happened. and I think that was kind of a, a a key point for me is that I started to realise it's down to the individuals and the personalities, um, and it depends on who they are, whether they're going to succeed or not. Yes, I mean, I can have the best systems in the world, the best programmes in the world, but sometimes you can't help everybody, and I started to learn that pretty soon. I was like, some people just don't want to change. Some people just don't want to, they don't want to be helped. They, they kind of throw money at it and get a trainer or pay for a fad diet because it makes them feel better and it makes them feel like they're doing something about it. But really, they're not actually willing to put in the work and the ownership to change. So I think that was a, a big learning curve for me. Big, big learning curve. Is there any particular person <laughs> that you can that you can call out, without calling out the name, but any particular client that you felt you learned the most from, or again, the, the guys that you've worked with at various gyms or facilities, who's enabled you to grow the most? I think <clears throat> clients that have challenged me um, because they've had a lot of barriers and a lot of issues to get towards their goal, it really challenged me, challenge, challenges me as a coach because I've got to work around these barriers and that's how you know you become better. And there's a couple that I used to train, um, and I see them every now and then. They made a mate some amazing results because I don't want to say any names, but she lost up nearly five stone. Um, and I can't remember how much he lost. It's a little while ago now. Um, I think he lost not far off um, the same as what she lost, and they done it together. But it was a bit of a journey getting there, and it took. A long time and I think to get there the barriers that we faced was that she was a mum so she was a busy mum um, he ran his own business and I think she helped with the business as well so they were both mega mega busy 
Um, they liked going out and eating a lot and going to social events. So it's like all these barriers that we had to work around mm. and it was really challenging for me to, to get them where they wanted to go, but we managed it eventually. And I think that point in my career, just it really tapped into sort of a deeper, uh, or it challenged me as a coach, as an individual to get them there. And um, they've done fantastically well. And I think that although they thank me for helping them, I sort of thank them in a way because they've made me sharpen my sword. So yeah. yeah. Um, another client that was, uh, had osteo, um, uh, sorry, had arthritis in her, in her feet. She had an operation on one of them and was ready to have an operation on the other foot. Um, when she came to me, she said, you know, I'm gonna have to have this operation at some point on my other foot because um, it's getting worse and because she used to have a lot of pain down her feet. So we, um, I ran her through some mobility drills and we talked about what shoes she was wearing and, you know, there was a few things in her diet that we looked at. And she, this was probably about three years ago and she hasn't had to have that operation now and it's literally changed her life because she she couldn't walk she couldn't she couldn't walk from her car to work and that used to really upset her now she's coming to the boot camp she's running um and you 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 enabled that change through what her owning a set of exercises and mobility drills that yeah, in time yeah just work, yeah um there was just some imbalances down the ankle that were making it flare up now i've not i've not fixed the problem since arthritis but yeah. we've lessened the the issue that she was having and the pain okay. which now enables her to almost live Lead a her normal, normal life. life again um for me that was very inspiring um to see because I got to see that process and um, she's very thankful. But again, I'm very thankful for her because she listened to what I said and she worked on it and it's made a huge impact on her life. So, What about any characters, again, clients or peers, that have almost been such a bad example that you've also yeah. learned from that too? Like you failed someone or they failed you or... It was just a, horrend a horrendous experience for you both. But as a result, you've taken something from it, whether it be, I'm not going to train someone yeah. who has these type of qualities, or um, if this presents itself to me, I have to handle it differently because I, I made a big mistake in guiding them in whatever direction I took. Have you got anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've dealt with a lot of uh, clients in the past that just not got anywhere. Um, and I beat myself up a lot because I yeah. want everyone to achieve. Yeah, you must take it personally, results. definitely. Yeah. And and I I mean it make, makes me step back and question what can I improve. So from from having the, those experiences, you only get better because you're questioning yourself why didn't it work and how can I stop that from happening. But I have yeah I've had a few clients that uh, mostly clients that are looking to lose body fat that weren't actually willing to help themselves. And you're almost hitting your head against the wall. Um, there, I've, I mean, I've had a few clients like that, and especially when I was, because I was working in a big commercial gym at DW Fitness, and I remember one client I had that I was for months. I was just hitting my head against the wall, weren't getting anywhere. But they were still paying you money, still showing still, up. Yeah, still paying money, still showing up. But it gets to a point where you have to say, look, this isn't working. Um, you find that person, didn't you? Basically. Yeah. Well. It, I kind of let it fade out because right. I, I didn't really want to just say to him. I mean, I, I, I am 
that well, that's actually something that I've learned. Be more honest, and I'm actually a lot more honest with my clients now. Look, is this working? No, then how can we change it? If you're not willing to change it, then we'll have to stop there. Yeah. But back then, I wasn't um, as good at sort of being as front on then, so I kind of just let it fizzle out. But I think that's actually one of the biggest things I learned from clients not making any changes. We got to be really honest and self-reflective about the situation. Yeah, I mean, whilst whilst it's from a managing an income perspective, you want as many clients as your yeah. as your week can afford, and uh, you want to keep you know the highest cost is acquiring new clients, right? So if you can maintain mm. a good body of regulars, then yeah. you know that that's an income that you can rely on month yeah. in month out. But I guess there's going to be some social conscience that kind of kicks in and goes, you know what? I'm just taking this person's money. They're showing up. They're willing to direct debit me every week, but you know, I'm not getting fulfillment out of training this person. Yeah. They may be a pain in the ass. Uh, they may have character qualities that just don't jive with me yeah. nicely, and or they're not making any progress. Hey, they may even be going backwards. Yeah. They may be adding in, adding on even more weight, and that happens. Yeah. Unless you can create some form of significant intervention emotionally, mentally. Um, having that honesty to mm. both cause yourself harm, financial harm, yeah, as well as releasing them from this crutch, which yeah. they believe is what's going to get them better, but clearly is just a yeah this this bottomless well of throwing money into it and getting nothing out of. That must be pretty hard. Oh, it was incredibly hard because you're yeah you're torn between your head and your heart because your heart's saying you know they're not making any progress. Maybe it's not right now. It's not right right now for them. Um, but then your head's going, you know, they're obviously paying you. You don't want to just turn down work. You're self-employed. Yeah. But yeah. you have to do what's right, and you have to say this isn't working because at the end of the day, it's works for reputation. And if they're if they're not getting any results, and they're telling other people that they're not getting results, yes. it, you're to blame. So it's obviously your reputation. So you've got to be really honest with yourself and go, well, actually, is this you know they're paying me, but is it bringing any real benefit long term to me? Um, as a coach so you do have to let these people go and as well you're doing them a favour because if you're paying someone and they turn you down that's when you go holy shit like um, what's going on right? yeah, you I'm know, paying them money and they yes. don't want to they don't want like, if to you, if you said to me Steve I, I don't want to train you anymore yeah. I, I, you're wasting your money mm. that's a bit of a yeah. whilst it's difficult for you to say it to me mm. I think that would be quite difficult for me to hear yeah. be like what's wrong with me yeah. like like you know, I respect this guy and he doesn't want to work with me anymore. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe maybe so, there's a yeah. moment of reflection. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I, I do. I think it, um, and has that ever forced someone to convince you to keep training them and then they've changed or you just haven't experienced that yet? Yeah, I mean, but there's another factor. I mean, some people take longer to make changes than others. So yeah. someone might make changes in the first week. Some some people take a few months until they, or suddenly it clicks yeah. and then they make changes. The so, wire's strong enough and now yeah. they start to get used to the some of the habits they need to form. Exactly. Well, actually, going back to the couple that I was talking about earlier that lost um, loads of weight, is that I was actually training the husband first and I was training him for a long time before he actually got anywhere. And um, what happened was his his wife came on board, and as soon as she came on board, they both made amazing diet. progress because the they did it together. As well. Diet changed because yeah. I think she did a little more of the cooking. Yeah. Um, and well, it's just a lot easier if both of you are willing to yeah make the sacrifices and change your kind of food yeah. habits, right? But yeah, exactly. All yeah. the habits at home were changed because they're yeah. both doing it together, and um, 
yeah, I mean, it it took a long time until he made that progress. So, but you, you can kind of see it within that person that they're willing to change. There's just a few barriers that we need to work around. Just some inertia. And it, yeah, it could take a while, but you know they will get there at some point. See, um, I'm, I'm quite an impatient person, so I think I would struggle. I struggle with the notion of someone, say, taking six months before they, yeah. they get it and, like, not feeling like they're either taking it seriously or they keep going back to bad habits or they're unwilling to be honest with you and you know they're not being honest. You get to this point where they kind of don't want to talk to you because you're going to ask them questions they're gonna, and they don't want to answer it. Yeah, and I, 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 would, I, I suspect I would start getting a bit frustrated. Like, I've enabled you. I've given yeah. you the information. You know what to do. We've spoken about some of the habits and the failure paths and how to anticipate those and, yeah. and stop it from happening. You've got the training program. We've been specific on what you need to eat. You know, get your shit together. Yeah. I, I think I would, I'd struggle with empathy if they make the same mistakes weekly for long enough. Yeah. It'd be like, dude, I, I, I can't tell you anymore what to do. You know what to do. Yeah. But you're constantly and chronically yeah. falling back into these bad habits and like, like I, I'm not going to keep banging my head against a brick wall. I, I think I my point of break breakage would be a lot sooner than yours. Yeah, yeah. Which is a bad quality trait of mine because I should be more patient. But. Yeah, but I think it, it also depends on the individual. So you might, you might look at someone and go, I've given you all the tools that you need and you're still not succeeding because you just, you just don't want to help yourself and you're just not listening and you're not applying. And it's figuring out whether that's the case or if it's the fact that they are genuinely struggling with or, or is it life. Or is it me? Yeah. Or is it me as a trainer? Am I, yeah. am I not getting through to them? Have I not elicited that level exactly. of emotion? Yeah. Have I made it too complicated to understand? Have I have I missed a critical piece of information that could Definitely. make this process easier? I guess there's a lot of self-reflection as well. Like, am yeah. I doing my job well enough? Yeah, exactly. And I, I think every time that happens, you develop as a coach and become a lot better at your job. Um, and that also takes a little while um, to develop and then suddenly you say the right thing at the right time to that client and suddenly something triggered something yeah something triggers and it changes or you just take a while to figure out why they're not doing it whether it's you know a mindset thing habit um yeah there's just something in their life that's holding them back and sometimes it's not always obvious and easy to see but Mm. when you get it you get it. So it's figuring out whether that person's struggling because of that or whether a client just does not want to help themselves and they're just not listening to you. Um, so yeah, you, it, you know what? I think your journey over the next five to ten years, if you maintain your commitment to this space, which I'm sure you will, will be so rewarding because I, I just think back, as, as you were talking, of all the different things that can make committing to a body, a body goal challenging, whether it be... You know, the time you get home at night and then therefore some bad decisions you make through to the fact you've got, you know, highly active social life through to you've been always, you've always eaten dessert since you was about, since you were a kid. Yeah. And that, that habit is so hard to break through to food addictions, through to, you know, your wife's not on board or your husband's not on board yeah. or you're having to prep food for your kids and that's different from yours and then you can't be bothered making multiple meals. You know, you just think about, I don't know, being in the office and having birthday cakes thrown at you every two minutes and, yeah. you know, chocolates strewn around the, the kitchen, 
you just think about all these opportunities to make bad mistakes. And if you're not there and you're not that fly on the wall witnessing their life as it unfolds, the decisions they make, the environments they're in, the habits that they have that are hard to break, and they're not going to tell you. Yeah. Right? They're not going to tell you that one piece of information that if you could solve that one habit, yeah. could change everything for them. And we are, whilst that habit still grabbed onto them tight, mm-hmm. it's just going to keep drawing them back into the same same process yeah. and the same gluttonous ways. If you, unless you get the insight, and look, you're speaking to them for an hour, and you're not having consultation, mm. you can't cons- <laughs> you can't just ask 40 quid a month, whatever it is, or whatever, a session, just to chat. Yeah. Like, I don't think people are willing to spend 40 quid a session with you just to have a chat. Mm. They they want you to kick their ass in the gym, right? That, like, that, consultation moves yeah. to exercise <clears throat> because that's what they expect you're here to give them. Whereas, think about it, the head game's more important. Like if yeah. you if they if if they literally saw you as a psychotherapist, right? And I'm going, I'm sitting on the couch with Brim once a week, and we're gonna get through my demons of my relationship with food and you know health and movement. Probably that will be better yeah. better spent than getting in the gym for 45 minutes and walking through a program. I actually had someone recently that I said to them, they approached me, we had the consultation, and I said, actually, the first three sessions we're going to have together, you're not going to do any exercise whatsoever. Um, just because I knew there were so many things that we needed to talk about, and I didn't want to talk about them in between our rest periods or at the end of the session when they're already fatigued and tired, or at the beginning of the session because I just wouldn't have long enough. Well, they're just not going to open up. So, how, how much honesty can you get in five, it, ten minutes yeah. when you have to have very pointed questions and you need exactly. them to be quick in their response? Yeah, sometimes you need to be there for an hour asking questions yeah. to dig deep to get that one bit of information that you need. Um, to make that change in their life. It's hard but, to sell that as an idea, yeah, though, isn't it? Massively. And I think it's setting expectations and making them understand. So I, I said to this client, I said, look, there's, you're not sleep, like they're sleeping two hours a night, their stress levels are through the roof, um, they weren't eating enough calories. So I said, if I now, on top of that, go yeah, and the stress training, of exercise. Yeah, I was yeah. like, you don't have the capacity to recover yeah. from the training. So I said, we're only going to do more damage. So I said, let's get those things right first. Um, so we'll do three sessions working on each one of those points then we'll get you into your training and she worked on each um, was she comfortable with that yeah as an idea yeah and I think that's partly well mostly my job is to communicate why it's so important and then when they understand that they go and they accept it and go yeah that's fine I know I don't need to just go in the gym and kill myself basically I need to actually sort these things out in my life to help aid the recovery then I can go and train, and it will be, it won't be a waste of time. I think I think that's the I think that is the evolution of this industry mm-hmm. in terms of coaches. Yeah, and I'm sure there's a bunch of coaches that do this already. But if you think about coaches and personal trainers, you think about people wearing gym gear mm-hmm. in a gym, telling someone what to do. Yeah, it's around exercise programming mostly, right? Yeah. That's what you think when you think personal trainers, and I think the evolution of this category within this industry is to see yourself more almost as a life coach. Like I'm I'm someone who's going to walk you through um, your own life, Mm -hmm. enable you to reflect on the decisions, habits, ethics that you have as it relates to being healthy and optimal. And I'm going to work you through that. So you build those habits and appreciation for Mm -hmm. 
your body and your health the way that will create a sustainable change. Yeah. And then as we get you there and we layer into that, we'll layer into movement. We'll talk about movement. And movement will be in the context of exercise and we'll get you there. Yeah. But our disc- our interaction is probably going to be 50-50 or maybe even 60-40. Yeah. Leaning towards me understanding how you're getting on yeah. and me trying to coach you towards a better optimal life. I think that is something people are going to be willing to spend money on yeah. at some point. Right now, I think you're going to be pushing water up a hill for the most part mm-hmm. because I think what people want is uh, it's, it's more visceral and it's more um, easy to grasp the idea that I'm just giving you money to show me things like physically that I don't know how to program and or do. Yeah, or, so that, to, or just to be there for accountability and just be there and count reps. Yeah, or just yeah. tell me what to do. I, yeah. I can understand how you can go, okay, X amount of money, I get this level of tuition and guidance and accountability. Yeah. But to extrapolate that and say, actually, I'm paying this person so I can be honest to them. <laughs> I can tell them everything that I don't want to tell them. Yeah. And through that honesty, they'll encourage me to make better decisions. That just feels a little bit too loose. Yeah. And... Now let's get into where I wanted the rest of the conversation to go, yeah. which is that for me is part of the problem of this industry. Yeah. Right. Part of the problem of this industry is not just the industry, but our expectations of it. Yeah. Right. And both things need to change. If we continue to look at personal training or nutrition through the lens we currently see it, we won't create a grassroots movement yeah. to expect this industry to change in our in our favour. Yeah. So why don't we actually, I'd love to get your thoughts. What yeah. do you think are, I don't know, let's start with the good. Let's start with the good. What do you think are some of the, the things this industry, and when I say this industry, I'm talking that macro industry, which is, fitness and wellness, which is an $80 billion a year industry globally. Yeah. What do you think is going well? There's plenty of help out there. <clears throat> um, so we're not sure on good coaches or good gyms now. So we have access to all of these things. Um, unlimited amount of information, which we have on the internet that are our um our disposal disposal disposable yeah on our phones you know it's, it's so easy to to get the information we need um to to get the answer right um i think that's amazing um obviously that has its downsides too but i definitely think that if you need help there's there's no reason why you can't get that help and obviously we didn't have that 30 years ago mm. there wasn't as many gyms um there wasn't as many ex- um, experienced coaches um, the internet internet wasn't there then um, or not as good as it is now so I think that's that's going to be over the next 10 years is going to develop and become even better I think because um, gyms are only getting better um, coaches are only getting better and the internet is only getting better but that obviously has a downside because there's a lot of information misinformation um, on the internet well what other good things what about say the food industry do you see see good in any of the actions that occur kind of like a, a macro level 
Yeah, I think we're now starting, and again, because of the internet, we're starting to see a lot more honesty um, because individuals, like coaches, can get on, on camera and basically say, look, this is bullshit. Um, this is what we need to change with our diets. Stop looking at these um, fad diets and stop looking at and getting distracted with this shiny object syndrome um, because it's, you know, the marketers of these big sort of um, uh, food giants and uh, fad diets cling on to our emotions and they know how to uh, evoke emotions within us to give them money in order to to have a business. Food. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think now with, with the internet, we can... So you think there's more honesty occurring we can be now honest. than ever before? Exactly. We can get behind a camera okay. and we can say exactly what we think. And I feel that that's coming out a little bit more now. So people are actually starting to hear the point of view um, that a coach or a nutritionist would have firsthand without actually having to... That's actually a really someone. good point. Because if you think about um, whilst we're being bombarded with marketing messages left, right and centre, yeah. inundated with in- information... Um, the freedom of the internet is allowing uh, people that have an opinion yeah. to express it with very low barrier to entry. I guess the downside to that is um, they may be wrong. Yeah, exactly. But I think that... And if they're, convinc- think that- if they're convincing enough and it doesn't look like as if there's money behind their coaching, you think, okay, well, they haven't got a reason to lie, mm. so they must be right. That's not necessarily the case. But what I would say is that when people are wrong now and they put it out on the internet, people usually will set call them out. You call them out basically. Um, so I think you, if you see someone talking about something and there's a video that's gone viral, and you look down through the comments, you know, then you can make your own judgment because there's thousands of people yeah. commenting on the videos. Now, okay, maybe if it's a local personal trainer that's doing a video and it's only had, you know one person comment on it then it's obviously a little bit harder to judge um whether it's good information or not yeah but that is the beauty of the internet you you get called out if you're you know spreading a load of lies and misinforming people i agree i agree Any, anything else i mean i, I know there's some <coughs> some stuff we, we, we're itching to talk about that might be on the on the downside well, or what needs to be improved but what, what other things do you see fitness wellness nutrition that you think are either great now or clearly are on a path to greatness? I think the it's becoming more niche and um, coaches and individuals are starting to find their path within this industry, whether it is nutrition, whether it is mindset, whether it um, could be habits, it could be a coach on getting your children to eat better because there's a lot of obviously... Um, uh, mindset barriers okay. with kids. So you're starting to see people specialise so instead of being generalist. Exactly. So you're seeing okay. yeah, exactly. So you're seeing people specialise and get very niche, which means that now you've got a pick of the bunch, you know, so yeah. you can choose who you go to and you've got a lot of social proof. So you all you have to do is go onto someone's social media and have a look through their social media and see what kind of following they have, what messages they're putting out. Um, what they're about and whether that's for you and I think that's great because people are only getting more and more specialised which means they're only getting better and better at so what they do that's interesting you said social proof so what you're saying is like the likes of Instagram where uh, I guess if you follow someone for long enough um, their character will come through yeah their, their ideas and their 
morality and their ethics and their grounding in terms of uh, knowledge and wisdom you'd like to think will come through. Yeah. I, I guess that's um, it's optimistic to assume that honesty will prevail because I guess yeah. there are some people that can absolutely leverage Instagram, for example, yeah. and continue to only offer up the information they want to tell you. Yeah. And breaking through from that and actually understanding the person and understanding their credentials and understanding whether what they're saying is right but still some, still requires yeah. judgment and perhaps you kind of read in between the lines. It's not always very obvious, right? Yeah, because sometimes they can have a cult behind them and because they have this cult, it's they're all supporting what they believe in but and it's a very biased view. So it's it's figuring There's it, a lot of dogma that, there's a lot of dogmatism, right? Exactly. There's a lot of dogmatism and, and um, once you once you're part of a camp, um yeah. individuals can struggle to challenge their own um decisions. Yeah. And go, okay, so I'm keto or I'm, you know, about eating this way and then some damning news comes out to suggest maybe that that's wrong or yeah. there's a better way or you don't have to be so dogmatic. I think people struggle to get out exactly. of that starts that they've made very public on social media mm -hmm. like this is who i am i talk about iifym i talk about reverse dieting i talk about keto yeah you know i made keto products i'm selling keto products yeah, online yeah. oh keto is not so good no what i'm not going to listen to that i don't want to yeah. hear about the benefits of doing anything else otherwise because yeah. i now as you say i've got this following and this identity with this specialism that i can't yeah. just walk away from so that's got both a good and a down, downside yeah it, exactly but then going on from that we've got more access to published articles on scientifically backed like research .com. exactly so yeah. you can now go on to examine.com and check whether the supplements you're using are actually working or not um, so I think there's the information's there okay so talk to me about where there's room for improvement or just damn right where you're disappointed with the, the industry. Let's spend less time focusing on the habits of us as individuals, more around you know the industry, the leaders, the businesses that are putting stuff out there today. Uh, yeah, I think one of the biggest things is that there's a low barrier to entry for leaders to get into the industry, coaches mostly, that are becoming personal trainers. The course doesn't really offer you any real value as a coach um, so yes you can do your course and you get certified but then there's a lot of coaches that just settle for that and then they're taking uh, money off of someone and they're not actually giving them what the client needs or they're not giving them the level of knowledge or um, empowerment that that client needs and they're paying them top dollar so I think that having this low barrier to entry isn't a good thing at all because now there's this misconception that personal trainers are just rep counters because um, someone might have a bad coach and then have a bad experience and then just think all coaches are like that. And I've had this mm. firsthand where people come to me, or oh, I've spoken to someone in a gym, they've gone, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't need a trainer, you know, because they, they just think you're there to motivate them and kind of fist pump and go, come on, one more rep. Um, when really, actually, when they realise how much you have to offer and how much you can change their life, then they start to go, oh, actually, it's probably worth parting ways with my money. Um, so so, I think so are, you, are you saying <laughs> that both there's, um, it's relatively easy to call yourself 
a personal trainer. Yeah. And it's, re- it's relatively hard mm. for the consumer to validate that. Yeah. And and I guess there's so many bloody personal trainers. I mean, there's, I don't I don't know the stats. There's got to be tens of thousands in the UK. Yeah. Uh, across all the gyms and either done online or what have you. Just in the UK, how how do I how do I how do I sift through all that noise and make a good judgment on someone who isn't just a rep counter, who isn't just following the textbook, mm. or actually even worse, someone who's just shit. Someone yeah. who just doesn't get it. Yeah. Someone who isn't um engaging their brain. Yeah. Uh, and maybe you know if a personal trainer is a personal trainer, but they don't care about people, that's probably the worst combination. Yeah. Like, I'm doing this because it's easy to get into, cost me a grand or so, I've now got the certificate, uh, and, I like, and, the I, and, I, and I like training, so I'm going to be a personal trainer. Yeah. But if you, you're not built to care, yeah. like that's not your kind of go-to, Yeah. and this job is all about caring, because you've got to get past your own ego, your own knowledge, your own way of doing things that have worked for you, yeah. or for this other person, and really get to listen and understand what that person needs and then care enough about them getting there. Yeah. Um, the qualifications don't don't weed out people that aren't no. suitable. No, and I think there's, there's a, I mean, there's plenty of good coaches out there. Don't get me wrong. There's some fantastic coaches that have done their, you know, week, weekend course um, and they're fantastic and coaches they because they built up from there. And we all start somewhere. Yes. Um, but there's just not enough regulation within the industry to weed out the snake oil salesmen and the ones that are just in it for money and the ones that are dangerous because they can cause more damage and more harm than good yeah. um, because they don't really know what they're doing. Do you, do you have any advice on, on how, you know, if someone's seeking <coughs> a nutritionalist and or uh, a personal trainer for the gym, hey, we talk about this idea of this evolution of this space where someone actually might just need some kind of mindset coaching yeah. to get them better around wellness, but they don't know that yet. So they're not going to look for that. They're yeah. going to look for a personal trainer or they're going to look for a nutritionist. One of those two typically. Yeah. What advice would you give? Is there, is there any ways of validating and kind of, I don't know, some kind of like website that says, you know, this person's really, really good. Go use them in this area. Or is that, that yeah. kind of space not developed yet? I mean, yeah, I still don't think it's fully developed yet. I mean, I think there are websites out there now that do recommend coaches, but again, I don't know how well regulated they are. Yeah. Uh, Recommendation, word of mouth, isn't always great either because you might be recommended from someone that doesn't really understand what makes a good coach or a good trainer or a good leader, um, nutritionist or whatever. They don't understand what's good and what's bad themselves, but they might let's say have a, a really hard PT session just because that personal trainer killed them put them, put them through their um, paces. And that next for them day, was exactly what they wanted. Yeah, exactly what they wanted. The next day they're aching, so therefore I hear it all the time. They go, that trainer's really good. I recommend you go see him just because they're aching so much. Mm. When actually, are they actually making you better long term? Yeah. So I think that you can't go by, always go by recommendation. I would make your own judgment. So I would go by their their uh, professionalism. I mean, that's a big one. There's not an, enough professionalism in the industry because you see coaches that don't look professional because they're just wearing you know a baggy Nike T-shirt or they just don't... Do they have a professional bio? Do they have any yeah. kind of collateral that kind of talks exactly. through their credentials and their, yeah. their, you know, what they've done? Do they have any kind of case studies, any exactly. testimonials? 
you know, and, and feel comfortable to see maybe multiple, like before you yeah, make yeah. a decision. And then that feels difficult because oh. the biggest barrier to entry is calling up and yeah. actually seeking help. So the first person who raises their hand to help you, you typically take. Exactly. But if you're being more objective, you'd probably say, I want to see two or three and I want to see, do they present themselves and offer insight that would suggest they know what they're talking about? Yeah. So I, but I, think, I, yeah. I could see whether someone's good or not because I've yeah. got a baseline of knowledge. But yeah. someone who has no you knowledge, that would be more difficult to evaluate. You could catch them out because you could ask that question. Yeah. You know, whether they're but that's not, you or not. That won't be the same for everyone. But if you don't know that, then what I'd suggest is just, like you say, go to five different consultations and see who you click with um, and, and, you know, ask them questions and just figure out yourself whether you think they have the professionalism, the systems in place, the social proof um, of their results. Um, because it will... It will come out because you'll see whether they have a good sort of foundation um, that you can work from. Mo coaches that are good soon learn that they need systems in place. So if you see someone that's got that are treating themselves like a proper business and they've got all their systems in place, you'll they're more likely to be a better trainer than someone that just turns up with um, a pen and a pad and they just scribble it down on a bit of paper and they're just a bit of a cowboy. Um, so I think making sure that they have a solid business because they've obviously built on something. Um, another thing as well is don't get a coach that feels like he knows all the answers because this is something that a lot of the coaches that just come into the industry, including myself at the time, they almost feel like they have to have all the answers. And you you kind of blag your way through it to begin with mm -hmm. because you feel like oh if they're paying me the money and I'm the leader I be therefore the must have be the yeah. expert and have all the answers whereas now I'm actually like if they ask me a question I don't know I say actually I don't know the answer to that because I don't want to blag it so I'll say mm -hmm. I don't know I'll go away I'll research it, I'll have a look and I'll come back with my opinion or what I think's right or wrong um, but I'm not gonna just make up uh, an answer. Yeah, I think, I think that's endearing for yeah, someone I, to have that comfort to say these are the things I know really well and yeah. you're pushing push my knowledge a little bit here, uh, but I'm going to commit to getting back to you with, uh, yeah. you know, just going to aggregate some data and speak to a couple of people, get back to you in a few days and then actually do that, then that's a yeah. sign that you care. Yeah, exactly. they care, they want to be, they want to give you the, the real answer. So. Okay. What other things, um, so, so we spoke about low barrier to entry and really, um, the challenge of um, being able to identify good people in this space as yeah. it comes to coaching of nutrition mm. and like the physical exercise. What other things are you uh, less than enamored by? Um, commercial gym models. Um, I don't know how you feel about it as well. The way these big commercial gyms are run, um, their model is for you to pay membership and not turn up because they oversell um, their subscribe. membership so yeah. don't they so um, that's an unhealthy model because it's not it's not going to give you the results or the success that you want right because they're just going to take your money and that's it you've got a gym that you can use but whether you come or not it's not their problem they're not limiting they're your access in. but yeah. they're definitely not promoting they're, they're, they're not incentivizing and or doing all they can to encourage you to use their facility as much as it would benefit you, right? If you don't show up for weeks, they're not crying. Yeah, exactly. They're not, they're, they're not worried about you. They're yeah. not thinking what, what's gone wrong or how can I help or how can I motivate you to get back in? 
they're, they've got a facility that's open for you to use it when yeah. you're motivated to use it. Yeah, exactly. And hopefully you don't use it much. Yeah, where there's actually now smaller gyms that are opening up, um, whether that's a warehouse gym or it's a small boutique personal training gym. CrossFit ones have got much more accountability. Though, exactly. You want to say so? Yeah, um, and, and because they care. They, uh, well... I'm, I'm still generalising. Right? Yeah, there yeah. might be some bad ones out there, but there's a lot of smaller gyms now that actually care if you that you show up and they mm. want to help you get results. That's they live and die. Yeah, because they're small gyms, they live and die on results. If you're a big commercial gym, they don't. They just they sell cheap membership and get volume. Yeah. If you're a smaller gym, you live and die on results. So there's there's a gym there's a gym local to us. Uh, I won't mention the name, but they've been operating for a few years. They have, I think they said it was almost six thousand members mm. the gym is big yeah it ain't that big <laughs> six and, and they wear it like a badge of honor yeah you know we're, we're the most established in this space with six thousand members you know our rates are really low they're like yeah. 10 12 quid a month so it's got really cheap i think that's a good thing about this space as well the commercial gyms have got some limitations mm-hmm. they've gone being from being 80 you know 60 to 100 pounds now down to like 10 quid a month which is like chump change so for the most part, outside of London, gyms have become incredibly affordable. Yeah. Um, but it's sell it's it's sell it cheap and sell them higher, right? So it's just get them in, get them through the door, get them subscribed, get them feeling good that they're doing something good for themselves because yeah. they're paying us monthly. Yeah. But hey, giving me money alone isn't going to change your body. Yeah. You've got to show up. Exactly. And they're not they're not geared <laughs> towards motivating you because if they motivated you and they've done that across all their clients they wouldn't have space yeah and the experience would be hellish for the people that do turn up so i agree i think that model is dying on its ass i, I think, I think and, and, and cro- the, the crossfit uh, revolution mm-hmm. uh, that's taken hold the boutique gyms that are starting to emerge i think that's just going to continue to challenge this space and yeah. like continue one get better equipment get equipment that's more functional and it's you know the stuff that actually makes a difference you're starting to see that yeah it's, you know it's gone from no squat racks to now there's a corner where there's a few okay how do we continue to drive that change yeah um but yeah i think the model sucks i think it doesn't serve us and it clearly doesn't serve us because an 80 billion dollar industry and we're fatter now than we've ever been before yeah and there's no sign that that's letting up yeah something's gone wrong here yeah and people making lots of money it doesn't make sense it doesn't add up I think as well, part of the problem with the, the, the big gyms is that it's intimidating to go into and that's a, a barrier in itself. Oh, and true. actually yeah. a lot of people don't want to go to these gyms for that reason. So I think now you've got the, the, the choice of smaller gyms and, and I think a lot of these gyms are getting better at letting people know you're welcome here, we help each other, we don't judge each other, we're here to get results together and you know we've got all levels of, of fitness um, an experience here and I think that's it's a big barrier in some of the big commercial so it's good it's good I like the way you've you've um, you've uh, looked through that it's it's a problem but it's a problem that we believe is is on on the road to getting better yeah yeah and and, it, and we have to pay usually we have to pay more money to go to these um, personal training gyms or to pay for a personal trainer or a nutritionist but then again, you're you're paying more money because you're paying for a business that's good, that's going to get you results, where they have the time to invest mm. in you. Whereas a big commercial gym, you're paying 
um, you know, obviously a low price, you're not going to get that support network there. You just, yeah. You're not paying for it. You, you They just can't do it. They just, there's no support yeah. over there and it's set up for you to... And, you know, we've got to be honest with ourselves, you know, between, you know, paying for your TV subscription, your internet subscription, your Netflix subscription, your iTunes music subscription, you, you load up all the things that you you um, have been comfortable, you've got comfortable spending on a monthly mm. basis. Yet, there's this um, unwillingness, typically, to spend over a certain threshold per month on training. And I think, really, that's come from this idea of it's mostly a waste of money. Yeah. Because I know I'm not going to go. Yeah. So, like, I'm spending money, 60, 80 quid a month, and I'm not going to show up. It's like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. So I think the model was changed to support that resistance. So yeah. they've gone pay-as-you-go. They've gone, you know, no long-term contracts because we know people don't feel comfortable signing up. And we just make it cheap. Now we just make the decision simple for them to take, which I think is really encouraging yeah. that it's now more accessible and it comes with less kind of um, tie-in. Mm-hmm. But it's not changing people's actions. No. The only time it's good is that when if I'm seeing a client and I want them to do... Uh, specific drills and exercises on their own they they can obviously hire me as a coach but then they can go off and do it in a gym themselves because it's affordable so they're spending most of the money with you and they're using a facility which is like 10 or a month just so they can train it exactly what else have you got anything else that you're a little bit disappointed with um it it kind of ties in with your commercial gyms but it's it's all these uh, it's all the marketing um misinformation of what it really takes to get in shape it doesn't take two weeks to change your life or it doesn't take two weeks to undo the the doing that you've been doing for 10 years and mm. um, whether that's you know eating junk food and being sedentary and um just poor movement mechanics and whatnot if you've been doing something for 10 years it's not going to be fixed in two weeks yet we all have this idea that we can fix it in two weeks because it's always marketed to us. These, um, and I can see the benefit of these transformation packages. They can kickstart you and get you going. But understanding that it takes a lot of hard work, a lot of commitment, and it's a long road ahead. And I think that we don't, the industry doesn't do a good enough job at putting that expectation on everyone. Mm. And I think once. That's something that I do when I see someone. I'll always, I'll always lower their expectations, for, or I'd, I'd make sure that their expectations are realistic so they don't think that they're going to achieve X in two weeks and actually say, this is going to take a lot longer than you may think. Um, I, I agree. I, I think the, mar- the marketing side of this space is horrendous. <clears throat> and I think that's why it's getting a bad rep. Like, people just feel that they are constantly being sold to um, and because there's so many different messages, one, what's the right way, right? I've only got finite time, effort and money. Which of these umpteen different products, mm-hmm. programs, gyms, styles of eating, you know, diets, which one should I do? And, and, and they are, you know, mark, you know, I'm in sales and marketing. My job is to influence people mm-hmm. to spend money. So I'm not calling anyone out as being bad, that they're trying to drive their business forward. Marketing's um, needed, isn't it? It's and but the problem is it's, it's, <laughs> it's leeching off of certain qualities we have as humanity that 
uh, we've kind of taken advantage of. Yeah. We do want the quick fix. Um, we selling long term hard work isn't gonna happen. Yeah. Like if I if you started a company today, right? Okay, I'm gonna spend shitloads of marketing dollars on, you know, long term, you know, hard work every day for years is gonna get you what you want. Like you're not you're not gonna spend you're not gonna spend those marketing dollars. Yeah. Pointless. What you will spend money on is you know a sexy brand, you know a you know enviable brand, something that's on trend, something that offers quick results, yeah. something that takes the accountability off of you and the thinking off of you and packages it into something that you just have to consume or follow. And you just do this, keep it simple, stupid. You're gonna make the kind of change that you want in your life. I understand why the marketing engines work that way because that's what we're built to consume we want as you say the shiny object syndrome we want the thing that's going to give us quick results um instantly and we don't want to we want minimal amount of effort for maximum return so if something offers little effort high return with just this one fee yeah you know it lures people in and it lures people in every minute of every day across diet across training across you know exercise machines you can buy at home like stupid yeah the amount of crap that i've bought through the years that i accidentally kind of stumbled on an infomercial yeah of some like ab crunch machine or some newfangled yeah, resistance is- training bad <laughs> thingamajig that like fuck you know because they purport that this one product yeah is going to be is going to take you from this fat sod to this ripped amazingly tanned, yeah. perfect specimen of a man. And you go, if I had a product, I get like that. Yeah, well, I, I'm I, buying it. Yeah, I remember <laughs> I did that when I was like, I, I talked about it on the other podcast um, with the testosterone tablets. And I remember seeing the guy in the front and thinking, maybe I'll, if I take these, I'll look like that. And that's, that is unfortunately, they're making <laughs> so many leaps. Like, cause mo- mostly these models don't use the product. And then they're making these leaps of... Uh, they're, they're hoping that you as a consumer make this leap from I'm here, he's there, and they're selling this product in between. Yeah. This is all I need. And you know what? That person may actually be taking that supplement. Yeah. But they're doing 50 other things that that, pro- that company can't sell because they're just habits and or their other products they don't, they don't stock or whatever. They're not yeah. a gym. And that for me is like, I wish there was more honesty. Yeah. I, I wish there was more like, we create this new supplement. It it will give you a five percent improvement on fat burn throughout every day. Yeah. You do this in combination with all these other things, you're going to get a slight lift. I mean, it just doesn't sound as sexy, but that's what I'd rather that, hear. Yeah, that's well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's because we know how important marketing is. Because without marketing, we have no leads and we can't help anyone. So we need to be good at marketing, but we need to find that balance between being honest, but also trying to lure people in and be, you know, sound a little bit sexy. So it doesn't, it's not too dry, it's not too boring, um, and you're not going to turn people off. And it's finding that balance. And if you think about it, some of these. Um, I'm not calling anyone out because I don't know their businesses or their effectiveness of their products, but you look at like my protein, <laughs> protein world, those mm-hmm. kind of things that have just kind of gone from like um, brands I haven't known to like massive really yeah. quickly. Everyone talks about them. Everyone's got all their products. What have they done? 
they just nailed marketing. Yeah. Now, maybe some of their products are good, but I don't think they're probably the best in the market. Mm. They're not the best products, but what they are is brilliant marketing engines. Yeah. I'm going to get sexy people, on-trend people. I'm going to get into the, you know, the the weekly magazines in the glossies. And, and I'm just going to spend money to get this known that, you know, if you want this body, our, our business can help you. And people get lured into that, especially mm. as you hit them at the beginning of January or as it starts getting closer to holiday season, right? You go from January to May, you hit people up with as much fitness marketing messaging as you can because yeah. that's going to be your business throughout the rest of the year. Exactly. I think I think it's just, by and large, it's shit from a marketing perspective in this space. I'm glad you called that out. Yeah, I think that kind of leads on to um, people having egos in the industry um, when it comes to marketing it's all about it's very narcissistic and it's all about them and their body and look at me and actually I mean that's not effective marketing because that again you're going to turn your target audience off if you're you're scaring them <laughs> with your big man boobs and your 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 um, six pack abs and mm. your perfect life obviously that is appealing to some but I just feel there's a lot of that going on. There's yeah. a lot of people marketing, but they're marketing their ego. It's it's to feed mostly from Instagram. Most I yeah, mean, the amount of fitness yeah, you know, quote unquote influencers yeah, that really how they influence is through their body. Yeah, they look the way they look is enabling followership. That's enabling them to start pushing. I mean, if you look through most of these posts, they're pushing yeah. some kind of program. Yeah, some kind of everyone's pushing a program. As a nutritional plan. Mm. And I get it. They've achieved what they've achieved through the collective wisdom they've built up over the years. And it's been a lot of hard work and following a regimented plan. And they're offering you accelerated access to this level of knowledge. And I'm not calling that out as bullshit. I think mm. that's good. You know, if someone's achieved the results I want and they have been able to, you know, systematize it and yeah. summarize it in a digestible format that I can go read or watch and go copy all the power to that but the point you're trying to make is more it's more about them yeah than it is about you because there's, there's nothing wrong with having the top of the picture and showing that you you know it's important want, because top. i think people want to see that yeah. but people do want to get inspired exactly or, or give someone props that's right? why most people are, are, are wanting to um get into the into the industry or change their bodies because they want to look better right so if you show them that yeah i'm i I look good. So your best that, marketing that helps. tool. Yeah. But there's, a, and, and obviously there's a lot of models out there and that's what they do for their career and that's all well and good. But you can see where some people are just doing it. It's not necessarily to market anything other than their ego and it's just fulfilling their own needs. Um, and yeah. then you do see that quite a lot in the industry and they're not actually willing to show their vulnerabilities or help people it's, they're not doing it to help others it's oh, I, help I see that all the time and that's the reason why Adopt Nation was founded because I don't see enough um, there, there is a lot of honesty I mean you can jump on many different people's pages where they're, 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 they're trying to be walks and all but I think you know the leaders that have the greatest followers they may at best what do you see? You see them in front of like five hamburgers going, hey, I can eat like a pig and still look like this. Or you'll get them, you know, offering you some, you know, mindful guidance around how you should think about things. And those that's definitely the better side of things. Yeah. But what I think is lacking is, okay, you are giving 
authoritative, authoritative guidance, but you're not telling me about your demons. Mm-hmm. Like you specifically may look good, you may have arrived, but tell me about how difficult that journey was. Tell me about how difficult it is to yeah. be there now. Because I know, because I've spoken to some of them, their life is full of upset. Their life yeah. is full of obstacles. Their life is full of fuck-ups. Right? Yeah. And certain things they want to achieve, they're not achieving. Yeah. And I would love to see that. So look, I'm going to give you my selfless photo. I'm going to give you my programming. I'm going to tell you about nutrition. I'm going to be more balanced. I'm not going to be dogmatic. I'm also going to be comfortable showing you images and scenarios of myself that paint me in not such a good light from a control perspective. I am fucking up too. And if you could see how much I fucked up and yet I'm still here, I'll give you some encouragement as a listener to go, actually, maybe, you know, I could do that because I struggle with all these things and they clearly don't. They're clearly perfect. Yeah. They're not, but they've just fucking worked hard for the most part. Exactly. Yeah, and it's. It, I think this, and, and this is something that I, I'm working on myself. Just being more transparent and, and showing people that it's it's a journey of fuck ups, and that's how you learn, and that's how you get better, right? Yeah. Um. So just yeah, I think more people need to be more transparent. Um. And what What do you think? Is, what do you think is driving such a egotistic representation? Is it because you think those people have just worked out what people like to see? Because, you know, you know I've, I've got a feed full of various followers that, that, that we follow out of Nation. And, yeah, I, I'm quite likely to like someone who's in really good shape. But, like, it's just a, a little, pro, little props to them. Like, you know, good work. I mean, you, you look bang on, right? Yeah. I'm quite likely to tap that when, when something's, you know, photographed well. But is, is it them understanding the marketing and therefore, no, if I do these things, I'm going to get loads of followers? It probably is a bit of that. Mm-hmm. But how much of this is actually inferiority complexes and um, generally not having high self-esteem? Because I often find that people with yeah. high egos and who are highly narcissistic, they're constantly looking for that reassurance yeah. from the outside world that they're a good human being yeah because they need it because their self-esteem sucks so even though they look great they struggle with their own relationship with themselves yeah and what you know and i see that so often and you can you can see it whether you know the person or not that actually you're not very happy yeah actually you're seeking this moment of external feedback just to kind of keep you sane and and, yeah. and, and, and fight with your own demons of uncertainty and self-doubt and, and you know low self-esteem issues do you think that's driving it or do you think it's just a callous marketing yeah. ploy to just get people to follow oh I, I completely agree I think there's a lot of uh, insecurities in the industry um, which drives yeah um, people to, to have a bit of an ego to seek that the likes and the shares and whatnot on social media. Um, I mean, another thing as well is that people, some people have always been in shape. Genetically, they're, they're quite lucky in the sense that they've had a good body and they've never really had any real challenges. And then they just think, oh, I've got a good body, I'm going to take pictures and, and, you know, 
and put it out there and not become empathetic towards the people that do struggle i think that's a big problem as well because you're if you've been in shape your whole life it's hard to understand what it's like to not be in shape um so i think there's a bit of that as well people that haven't yeah i I think the good news is though about as, as much as i i get frustrated with ego i get frustrated with the lack of real 100% honesty, not <clears throat> selective honesty, but like real vulnerability, truth around just how difficult it is, mm-hmm. truth around all the fuck-ups that I have. I think we're getting there and some leaders are willing to do that. Yeah. And for me, honestly, they're the most endearing. Mm. They're the ones that are going to elicit most change in me. They're the ones that I can relate to. They're the ones that are going to force or no, enable change at a bigger scale. So and I, you start to see the seeds being sown. Yeah. That some people are comfortable comfortable enough in their own skin and their own decisions and their own life to tell everyone else about it. Yeah. And not feel at all uncomfortable exposing something that isn't great. Mm. Like I mean, for example, you know, I'm I'm fessing up to all my kind of blood work stuff that whilst I'm not doing it to myself, mm. um, would indicate that. I'm not in 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 um the best space to make the kind of level of body changes I want. Yeah. Through to you know I'll put, take pictures up of myself where I, I know. Two years ago I probably wouldn't have shown them. Yeah. Because like, that's not the person I want to represent. I want to be in better shape than that. But I'm going. You know what? It's me, and yeah. it's a journey, and you're going to follow my journey. And at times, I'm going to not look great, and I'm not asking you to like it. I'm asking you just to follow the process I take and hopefully through time you'll see that the changes I make are encouraging and inspiring, but it takes time. Yeah. And and that's it. So I think there's more of that coming. Yeah. There's lots of problems that none of these are unsolvable. And I know that people are really working on them. Yeah. But there is a lot of bullshit, a lot of a lot of we're inundated with information, we're inundated with marketing, there's lots of snake oil, there's lots of you know, get thin quick shit and somehow people are going to try and work through that maze yeah. and come out the other end with a synthesised view of just a few things they need to care about. Yeah. And uh, people like you and I and others in this space just need to fight that good fight and bring simplicity, pragmatism, honesty, vulnerability and just the key facts yeah. that make the difference. And I'm quite optimistic and as a, as a whole, I think the industry is moving in a in the right direction um i do think that there's coaches with a lot more experience there's a lot more i think there's a lot more honesty a lot more people getting called out um like say there's people like me and you we can get our message across via podcast so i think that the industry will will, or is moving in the right direction and then i think about um the um this new science that's emerging around the microbiome and we're now starting to piece together, we're starting to connect the dots between the quality of our soil, the quality of our food, the decisions we make in terms of what foods ingest, and whether that has an impact, not just to whether we're gassy or bloated, or whether we're fat or skinny, but has an impact to our health and our expression of our genes, our wellness, our longevity, our chronic disease. There's this whole piece that if you can connect you can heal yourself with food, you can eat yourself lean, and you can exercise for greatest function 
and longevity, if yeah. you start to put that together in a cohesive message, which also respects that people want to look good, so wrap that in a, at the same time you're going to look good. As a byproduct, yeah. I think that is a really holistic, honest, and um, challenging discussion that I think most people are not going to want to hear because it's going to challenge their the status quo and it's going to challenge their addictions and it's going to challenge their habits with foods that are not serving them. Yeah. But I'm excited about making making that breakthrough with people who listen to us and others over the next few years. Yeah, it's exciting. All right, man, thank you so much for today's session. It was great to understand a little bit more about, you know, kind of your journey, how you think about things and, you know, how you're encouraged about this space. Thanks for having me on again. Guys, um, Adapt Nation are all about providing you with the tools and expert knowledge to improve and optimise your strength, health, and mindset inside and out. Thank you. Cheers, guys. If you enjoy this show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And, of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might also enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. This is Adapt Nation.